Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, his name was Clero Wilson. He was 16, and he was tired of being in the foster care and also in reform schools. So he lied about his age, and he joined the United States Air Force. He was blessed with a nonstop personality, and he was always telling funny stories to his fellow airmen. And somebody said to him one day, you're just really flipped out. And so that name stuck with him. And after he left the Air Force, Flip Wilson got a job as a bellhop at a local uh, hotel. And between the paid acts on the stage, he would actually get up for free and he would do a comedy routine. Well, long story short, uh, and some of you are young and you never heard of Flip Wilson, so I encourage you to go on YouTube and see some of his stuff. But he became a very famous comedian, and he had one of his favorite characters was Geraldine. How many remember Geraldine? Geraldine. Uh, he wore a dress, uh, Flip did, and he portrayed Geraldine. He had this big copper-colored wig and exaggerated facial expressions. And Geraldine was always misbehaving and crossing the line and violating her conscience. And she would always say when she would get caught, she had one line. And that one line was... Yeah, the devil made me do it. It's fun to go back and look at some of those, but I've got to say to Mr. Wilson, you're not the first one who ever said that. But back in the book of Genesis, when God came looking and he asked Adam and Eve what they were doing, and Eve said, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. So we're in part one today of a three-part series we called The Devil Made Me Do It. Now, this teaching is not about glorifying the devil, but it's understanding that we're in a battle and we have an enemy that we can't see that's out to kill and to destroy us. And for some of you today, this series is going to be a wake-up call to you because you've never really heard of some of these things. In fact, uh, as, I was, as I was meeting people between service this week, I had several people come up and say, thank you for sharing that. I know that I need to hear that. And one young man came up and said, years ago, he said, this is so important because years ago I got caught into witchcraft and it destroyed my life and in prison. And he was talking about the various things. And he said, I just want to say thank you for bringing up this subject because people are not aware of what the enemy is doing. So I'm going to talk about several things. I'm going to talk about seances. I'm going to talk about witchcraft. I'm going to talk about tarot cards. I'm going to talk about 666. That's a big thing everybody's worried about is, you know, is this vaccine part of 666? So it's really screwy, some of the things that are out there. So I'm going to try to bring some sense to that. So it's not, it's not glorifying the enemy because there's nothing to glorify. He's already lost. He's already defeated. And he only has victory if we... See, people say different things about it, and I'll share some of those things. But uh, most of the research and most of the excitement about this series came from a little book called The Strategy of Satan, The Strategy of Satan by Warren Wiersbe. Small little book. Warren Wiersbe is an 88-year-old theologian. And he, you, when you read, I read anything that Warren Wearsby does. He's so easy to understand that if you're not even a believer, don't even have a Bible, you can understand what he's saying. And then yet, if you want to go deeper as a theologian, he even has more. So the strategy of Satan, how to detect and defeat him, Warren Wearsby. In this book, 
He says three things about the devil. Satan is a deceiver, Satan is accuser, and Satan is a destroyer. So I thought those are good sermon titles. So I'm going to next three weeks, that's what we're going to look at. And today we're looking at Satan is a deceiver. So let me tell you something up front. Here's something I know. Here's something I know that's going to happen to this week. You're going to get distracted this week from coming back to church next Sunday. Because the devil doesn't want you to come. He's going to interrupt. He's going to bring things up. So I'm just going to tell you in advance, get ready for it. Things are going to come up and you'll say, oh, I just can't go next Sunday. I'm going to tell you up front right now. I'm saying to you, he's going to try to keep you from coming because he doesn't want you to hear the rest of this story. So I'm going to say right now, he's a liar and he's going to try to keep you awake and away, but we're not going to let him. Our opening scripture says today, would you read it with me? But I fear, lest somehow, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Sometimes people say, okay, he's a deceiver. What is the biggest deceiving thing that he does? What's his biggest deception? And here it is. Are you ready? Here it is. His biggest deception is he doesn't want you to believe that he is. He doesn't want you to believe that he really is. That's why six out of 10 people in America don't believe the devil is real. No, it's a figment of your imagination. It's something that churches put together to kind of keep people in bondage. I'm going to tell you, that's exactly what he wants you to believe. Because if you believe that he doesn't exist, then you're not going to watch out for what he does in your life. But he's a deceiver and he does exist and he wants to deceive you and keep you away from God. He's not, or if he can't do that, then he'll try to make you think that he's like this devil in the movies. You know, the little guy with the little red suit and the, and the, and the tail and the pitchfork. You know, he's not that. Let me, let me share with you. I know most of you know this, but let me tell you the backstory, in case you don't know where the devil came from or, or, or how that he started. Before God created the world, he created angels, and he created what he called archangels, and he gave them authority and responsibility above the regular angels. Some of those archangels, one was Gabriel, you know Gabriel, uh, one was Michael, and one of them is Lucifer, Satan. So at one time, he was created as a beautiful, beautiful worship angel. In fact, when it talks about him in the Bible, it says that even when he moved, there was melodious music that came from him. And he was beauty. He was probably more beautiful than any of the other archangels. But the problem is, he got full of himself. And he began to think that he was better than God. And so he says, I'm going to rise above God, and I'm going to be more than God. And God says, oh, you think that, buddy? You're out of here. And so he no longer was able to be that archangel in the presence of God and all of that, still having access back and forth between the earth. And because next week I'll talk about that, how that he is accuser of the brethren and how even today he accuses our minds. Some of you wonder why you think some of the things you do and why you can't get rid of some of the guilt and condemnation. Don't miss next week because I'm going to show you how that the enemy attacks your conscience and he constantly accuses you day and night and tries to keep you from a distance from God. But today we want to talk about him as a deceiver. Isaiah 14 tells us a little bit about this backstory. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and I will set my throne above God's stars. Stars there means angels. So I'm going to be above all the angels. 
I will preside on the holy mountain of the gods far away to the north. And I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. So that was his attitude before he got kicked out, out of his job of being an archangel. Ezekiel tells us a little bit more about this backstory. It says that you are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. I ordained, this is God talking, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. Look at that, angelic guardian. You had access, notice, you had access to the mountain of God. You walked among the stones of fire, which talks about the very nearness of the presence of God in that holy fire. You were blameless in all that you did from the day that you were created until evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the holy mountain. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground. So evidently, in the garden of Eden, before he became evil, he was a good archangel. And the scripture says that he went back and forth between Eden into the very presence of God as a guardian of God's children, Adam and Eve. So he was their guardian. How would you like it if you hired a guardian over your kids and then you realize later that that guardian was misleading and destroying your kids? It wouldn't make you very happy, would it? And that's why God then kicked him out of the access of sitting around the throne in the holy and said, no longer are you going to be the guardian of my kids. So that's sort of the backstory. He was so good in what he did, he took about a third of the angels with him. A third of the angels. The Bible says in Revelation 12 and 14, his tail swept the third of the stars from heaven and cast them to earth. So he was so slick in what he did, he deceived one third of the angels in the presence of God. You say, wow, man, that's, that's pretty deceptive. But listen, that means that two thirds are still left over, right? A third may be demons, but two thirds are still warring angels that war over you and protect you. That's a good place to give God glory and thanks that we're not defeated, but we're victorious. The devil can't make you do anything. You say, the devil made me. No, the devil didn't make you do it. He can drop thoughts into your thoughts, lies into your mind, but you have to make the choice. Now, don't ask me, well, how does the devil drop thoughts into my thoughts? This is really deep. I don't know. And I don't know any theologian that could give you a real answer. Now, some of them who want to write a book and get famous will give you some sort of made-up thing that they got, and so they're responsible to God. Now, I do know this, that he can't read your mind. That's why it says that we have to be careful what we say. So the enemy, here's how he attacks us, deceives us. He drops thoughts into our thoughts, lies, ideas into there. And if we don't have the word of God to counteract that, then we begin saying what the devil says instead of saying what we know that the word says. And so that's where the attack goes on. The Bible says he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies... It is consistent with his character. Read it with me. For he is a liar and the father of it. His first strategy when he got kicked out of being in control of Eden, 
he still had access to Adam and Eve. And he came to Eve in the body of a serpent. Now, when we read that story, Eve is talking. Now, this is before the curse. So she's talking to a serpent that's standing upright. Now, I don't know if he had little tiny like dinosaur feet. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll have to look at that. But he was standing upright. But the thing that boggles me is that we read over that and we never stop and think, this is a grown woman talking to a serpent. I mean, does, does that like not feel unusual? I mean, does, does she talk to the elephants too? Is the elephants talk? Do they all have that ability? I mean, we read right over that and we just think, whoa, that? no. No, Satan comes and he comes in that form. Now, I don't know why he chose a serpent other than a serpent is an unclean animal. And the Bible says that they're more cunning than all the others. But after that, after uh, Satan deceived Eve, then the Lord said, from now on, you're not going to walk on legs, every how many legs he had. From now on, you're going to slither on the ground, and that, that's how you're going to go. So that's the backstory that we need to know. So how does he deceive? Number one, if you're taking notes, and if you're not, you should be. Number one, he questions God's word. He questions God's word. The first thing that he does is he tries to get Eve to question God's word. Genesis 3 and 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God, look at that, which the Lord God had made. And then the serpent said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's trying to get her to question God's word. He's not getting her to question that God spoke. He's just trying to get her to question is, is that what God really meant? Now, when you look at that verse, the devil comes back and he says something, but he leaves out a word that's in the first part of that verse. Anybody see what word he leaves out? What word does he leave out when he talks to Eve? Lord. He says, in the very beginning, he says, Lord God, because you see, God is the word Elohim, which means power. But Lord is the word Adonai, which speaks of relationship. So in the Old Testament, when it talks about, when he explains to us about God, it's always Lord God. It's Lord God. Because you see, the devil, he, he, he said, okay, it's, it's God. So he's not denying God. But here's what he's saying. It's all right for you to talk about God. Just don't talk about having a relationship with God. It's all right for you to come to church but just don't have a relationship with the Lord God. It's all right for you to go through all the motions and to talk about that, but I don't want you to have a relationship. It's all about covenant relationship with God. So he says to her, look, he says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of this? Notice what he does. He reduces a command of God and makes it a question. He reduces the command of God because God said, don't eat. He said, you can eat of any other tree, but don't eat of that. That was a command. It was not a suggestion. It was not if you feel good or whatever. But the enemy brings it down from a command to a question. What he did is he was planting seeds of doubt. Planting seeds of doubt. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what God means? Are you sure that's what the Bible means? And here's, here's how he does it for us. He'll say to us before we become a believer, surely, surely you don't believe the Bible. How could you believe the Bible? 
It was written by a bunch of men through all of those years. And it was, men are fallible. So you can't really believe you're an intellectual man or woman. You're, the, you're an enlightened one. You can't believe that this is really the Word of God. See, what he's doing is he's making you to question. Well, maybe, maybe it is not the Word of God. Maybe it got watered down through the years. Or then he'll say something like this. <laughs> you don't believe in that creation thing, do you? You don't believe that in six days God spoke and created the world. I mean, you've been to college, after all. You know the big boom theory. And you're an intellectual person. Notice what he's doing? He's getting you to question. He's getting you to question what the word is. Or he'll say to you, you don't think that what the Bible is, is saying is for us today. Not for us. We've evolved. The Bible was written in the Old Testament, the New Testament for all those people. But we've evolved. We've become more educated. We're better than ever. The other day at the gym, Al, my trainer, said, isn't it interesting that years ago, before written words, you had the hieroglyphics. The Egyptians put stuff on the wall, the hieroglyphics. And then we had, we had words. We had language. And now, what do we have? We have emojis. Right? Back to the same thing. Instead of answering, we send an emoji out. And so I'm thinking, have we evolved? Are we back at that particular age? But anyway, be it here or be it there. So evidently, Eve started to question God. In, in Genesis 2 and 16, here what it, here's what it says. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you shall what? You shall freely eat. Freely eat. But notice when... when, when uh, Eve is talking to the enemy. Genesis 2, 3 and 2, she leaves out something. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat, free, free, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. What did she leave out? What did she leave out? Freely. She left out freely. So what is that helping us to understand? It's helping us understand that she's processing and listening to some of this deception of the enemy, implying that, well, perhaps God is holding something back from me. Perhaps God is holding something back. So the first thing he does, he gets them to question God's word. And the second thing, he twists God's word. Say twist. He twists God's word. Genesis 3 and 3. But of the fruit in the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor you shall touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent says in verses 4 and 5, you shall not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how he twists the word. Notice how he twists the word. You're not going to die. The command was, you're going to die. Not physically, but you'll be separated from God. Not, but he says, you're not really going to die. The reason, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is that you'll know real freedom. And you'll be like God. Well, wasn't that exactly what Satan wanted? Wasn't that exactly what he wanted when he was in heaven? Didn't he want to be like God? So he says to you, yeah, God says, yeah, God says, that's a no-no. That's a no-no, you, you shouldn't, but really he's keeping you from experiencing something that you need to experience. Notice how he twists it? Notice it. We have to realize the enemy does that very thing. He says to us, yeah, and what do you do? He'll take the scripture, 
But then he'll twist that just a little bit. He'll take a good scripture like, God is love. How many of you believe that? That God is love, right? How many, and then he'll take a part that says, uh, uh, don't judge, right? Scripture says that. You've got to keep it in context, right? It says in that. So here's what he'll say to somebody. Well, you know, God is love. And then he twisted. Because God loves you so much, I know the Bible says that some things you shouldn't do. Like you shouldn't sleep with somebody that you're not married to. But you know, they had multiple wives. So that should tell you enough right there. You don't have to listen to the word, right? You don't have to do that. It's all right. God, because you see, that's, that's what preachers are trying to tell you. Because they don't want you to experience sex before marriage. Because, you know, really, you need to experience sex before marriage to see if you're compatible. But do you know the statistics are that people that have sex before they're married have a greater percentage of divorce than people that don't? Hmm. That's interesting. That's a fact. That's not uh, uh, something that's not. It's true. So I wonder if it is simply this. If you take from somebody who you're not married to, then what's a greater percentage that when that person's not looking? Hmm. Well, I didn't say that in first service. For that, somebody in this, in this service. So he says, yeah, judge not that you be not judged. Yeah, that's a good. So don't judge me for my lifestyle. And that's how the devil twisted all around. Well, listen, we have to realize we are in an unseen battle. Ephesians 6 and 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It says our battle is not with flesh and blood, but our battle is in a spiritual realm that has to do with the deception, the lies the enemy tells us, and the truth of God's word. Now, if it was a physical battle, I mean, look, think about this. If somebody tells you, hey, somebody's going to break in your house at 2 a.m. in the morning and they're going to hurt your kids and hurt your wife. Guess what? You be sure that every door is locked and you are aware and alert at 2 a.m. You're not just sitting back there and saying, oh, golly gee, I hope they don't go down the hallway where my kids are. I hope they don't go, oh, I hope they don't hurt anybody. I hope they, no, you're not going to do it. You're going to say, not in my house, not in my house. We are protected by Smith and Weston, by a double-gauge shotgun, a 20-gauge shotgun, a 22 rifle. What you may not know is most of our pastors around here pack. So you just got to know that. So if you try to take something at their house, they'll take it. Now, we're not going to erase that off and be politically correct. All right? I'm not packing here. We're to school. But I do say, if you break into my house, I can take a lamp and I can become a, a like a, make it a weapon if I have to. Because I'm going to fight for my wife. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to fight for my grandkids. Then why in the world, if we do that in a physical realm, so why don't we start saying, in a spiritual realm, I'm not going to take what the enemy tries to destroy my family. I'm going to stand up and believe in this word. Amen. Thank you. Wow. I got a little excited there, but that's okay. The Bible says that we have a weapon, that we have a weapon and it's a sword. The scripture says Ephesians, uh, Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we have the sword of the Spirit that we use, which is the Word of God. 
There were two different kinds of swords you had. One was a big sword like David used to cut off Goliath's head. And another one was like this. And this one was called the gladius. This is a gladius. It's sharp on both sides. It has two edges. It's very sharp. And so this weapon is not used for somebody that's six foot away. This weapon is used what? For up close, eyeball to eyeball, hand combat right in front of me, right? I mean, it'd be very difficult trying to get your sword out and it's like four feet long and you're trying to fight somebody that's right here in your face, right? But the word that talks about our weapon is a sword, the word, the word of God. It's this, the gladius, not the big one, but this one. What's he saying? He's saying, because the warfare you're doing is hand to hand. You're eyeball to eyeball with the enemy in a spiritual sense. And you take out the word of God. And that's what you do to fight with. You fight with the word of God. Remember when Jesus was uh, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And the enemy comes to him and says, whoa, you must be pretty hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. So why don't you turn these rocks into Krispy Kreme donuts? Why don't you call, call these into biscuits and gravy? You know, what, and what does Jesus do? Does he argue with him and say, well, you know, that does sound pretty good. Uh, you know, I just wonder if, if that'd be all right. No, he pulls out his gladius, says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Then the enemy brings another temptation, round two. And it, was a, it, was a, it would have been a good thing, all right, for him. But Jesus pulls it and says, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm saying it is written. Here's what the word says about this. And then the third time the enemy comes and Jesus uh, says, it is written. He doesn't say, I'm going to get all that anyway. He pulls it out as Gladius and he says, it is written. And the scripture says, and Satan left him and the angels came and comforted him. Listen, when you fight this week, you're going to fight with the word of God. It's not in how loud you yell. It's not in screaming at people, but it's fighting with the word of God under attack. David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How are you going to fight him if you haven't hidden the word in your heart? Then how do you hide the word in your heart? Well, you've got to get into the word. That's why that, uh, did I give you the Bible app for this week? No, I didn't. Go to the Father's House uh, website, fathershouse.com. We did this last week and scroll down through there and you'll find this lady here. And our Bible program this week is stop in the name of God. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Every time I see that, I, I, I've been, but anyway, far, so, so when you go down to that, just hit that, plan your Bible reading plan. It'll start tomorrow, March the 8th through the 11th. You hit that, and it says that you want to join everybody else. Yeah, I want to join everybody else. And then in the morning, we start this program. It'll come up to you. It'll come up, and uh, it'll lead you through some really great things. Now, if we're going to hide the word in our heart, some of you don't even know where your gladius is. Well, I think it's in the bedroom somewhere, you know. I think we went to that, that, that thing the last time or whatever, and you don't even know where it is. And some of you don't even know where, where it is on your phone. You know, you can bring your, you can bring your phone. Somebody said, uh, I think it was Noelle we was talking last week, and she said, yeah, she was raised on the old King James, but when she comes to church, she brings her app because I'm all over the place, and so she wants to follow along with me, right? That's what's so powerful about this. But some of you don't even know where your Bible is on the phone. Now, you know where Talk Tick is or TikTok or whatever that is. Or you know where Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is, that, 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 the other stuff. Or you know where those are. You know what's so powerful about this? Sometimes I might be fighting a battle, and, and I think there's, there's a scripture. What, what's that scripture? 
Um, tell me where that scripture is that says I'm more than an overcomer. And boom, this thing I've got is full of the Holy Ghost. And Romans 8.37 comes up. Romans 8.31 comes up. And all of these comes up. And right here, I have it in my hand. This thing is your sword. This is your glad. You, this is your, you carry this with you. And you can know that. But if you don't know where it is. So if you don't know how to get the, the, uh, the Version app with the Bible and all that, as you're leaving today, stop with some of our smart people out there. Don't ask me and Tim. Stop out there with some of our smart people and they'll help you. I know where it is on my phone. I know how to get there. But do you know where it is for you? You need to do that. So every morning you get into the word and you build that into your life. You see, and then what happens when you wake up one morning and you just feel depressed? Anybody ever wake up of a morning and just feel depressed? You see, one of the things the enemy will do to you while you're sleeping, he'll attack you in your thoughts while you're sleeping. You ever had dreams that just went really weird in the middle of the night? I'm going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to talk about some of that. And I'm going to talk about uh, actually coming in contact with people that were demonized or demon oppressed. People, oh, we're going to talk about demons. We're going to talk about, well, they're all around you. And they're affecting you all the time. I think we should. And so I'm just afraid. I, I saw on TV that they were there and the lady's head spun around. And, and they vomited like six feet out and all of that. Listen, that's movies. That's movies. You know what you do when you want to help somebody get rid of demonization? You just simply say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and I declare whatever's in you to come out. And guess what? Boom. You have to be set free. It's not you argue and you yell and you scream and you go over all of that. It's that you have the victory in Jesus. I've been in 75 nations of the world. I've seen those things that are weird. And if I told you, some of you think I'm crazy. But I know that there is darkness. And it's just like somebody said earlier, we need to wake up. We need to help our kids understand that things that they deal with are the very opening doors. And people say, well, then what should I do? Then you need to stand as a parent and say, not on my watch, Satan. I declaim God's word over you. So I wake up of the morning. I wake up in the morning and I feel depressed. So what do I do? I just quote the word. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul. I put my hope in the living God. That just changes thing right there. All of these are scriptures. So if you want an assignment, you might want to find their location. When your family's under attack, what do you say? No weapon formed against us will prosper. As for me and my household, we will what? Serve the Lord. When you think you can't make it another day, I will not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, I I will reap a harvest. If I don't give up, I can do all things through Christ who dwells within me. When you get the doctor's report and the diagnosis, it's not good. I believe all things are possible with God. I believe that by Jesus stripes, I am made whole. When you're not sure what you're going to do, I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I lean not to my own understanding in all my ways. I acknowledge him and he alone will make my path straight. When you feel ashamed after you've done something, as a believer, you say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. When your marriage is under attack and you're not sure what you're going to do, I say love is patient, love is kind, love is not proud, love always protects. And therefore there remains faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is the love of my Savior, Jesus Christ who dwells in me. I pull out the gladius and I rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. What did he say, Ethel? You'll either get in this or you get left behind. People say, well, you know, I, 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 
I'm not, I'm not really attacked very much. Then you're probably not doing anything. Let's just get real. If I'm going to attack you, I'm gonna, if I'm going to attack anybody, I'm going to attack people who are doing something. People who are seeking God. People who are living a life for God. People who uh, are putting God first in their life. I, I'm going I'm to do something like that. So if, if, if you're not being attacked, then you need to realize, hey, maybe I'm just occupying. But you'll have a choice this week whether you're going to rise up in the name of the Lord and be victorious. Amen, amen. Now, if you believe the devil's a little guy in the red suit with the pitchfork and the long tail, then you probably believe Jesus was a hippie. <laughs> Holding a staff, wearing sandals, having a sheep across his neck. You just believe Jesus was a hippie. Just a good old boy, just going through life. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. He's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God that deals with issues. Now, when he comes back, when we see him coming back in the clouds, here's what the scripture said he's going to look like. His head and his hair were like white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like the mighty waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. Look at this. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. It was like a two-edged sword. What is he saying? He's got like gladius hanging out like this when you see him comes. No. What is he doing? He's speaking the word. He's speaking the word. He even comes in that power, speaking that. So whenever the devil comes at you this week, say, just simply say to him, get behind me. I know God's word. It is written. I am in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. You're defeated. I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from a place in victory because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is operating in my life. I am victorious and you are defeated in the name of Jesus. You're speaking the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would empower your church. God, that we can be full of your word, speaking truth, doing battle against the forces of darkness. May we glorify you in all you do. As you continue to praying today, how many of you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I really want to become more passionately engaged with his word? Would you lift your hands right now? Just lift your hands. I want to become more passionately engaged in his word. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who raised their hand saying, I want to be more passionately engaged in your word. Father, I thank you that at our small groups, our life groups this week, we're going to talk about this. And Lord, if anyone's not in a life group, that they'll get in a life group today. God, we declare that we seek you first in worship. In the first of the week, the first day of the week, we honor you with our presence and we worship you. We honor you with fasting the first of the year. We honor you with the first of our financial increase as worship. 
And we honor you with the first of the day that we get your word out. We get the Bible app and we spend time with you. Strengthen us, God. Strengthen those that are in a battle right now. I pray that your living word will dwell within them and give them the faith to fight back the enemy, believing that with you all things are possible. Thank you, Lord, that you became flesh and you dwelt among us. As you continue to pray today, there may be some of you that will say, you know what, Terry, I'm not even sure today of where I stand with God. If I were to have a private conversation with you and sit down with you, and if I ask you, what would you do? What do you know would happen to your life if you were to die today? Where would you spend eternity? Some of you just sort of hem-haw around because you're, you're really not sure. You may say, well, I hope this, or I hope that, or I hope something else. Let me tell you what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that God is holy, and we're not. We've all sinned. We're not good people. We lie, we cheat, we lust, we steal, we criticize, we envy, we're full of pride. We are sinful people. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he became flesh and he came and he dwelt among us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the sinless son of God without sin. He became the perfect sacrifice. He died for your place, your forgiveness of sins. There are those of you that are here today and you're hearing that for the first time. Oh, not hearing it for the first time with your ears. You're hearing it for the first time with your heart. And you recognize today, you know what? I need the Lord. I need His grace. I need His forgiveness. You're not here by accident. It's not an accident that you came today. God brought you here for this moment. Those of you that are here in the house today and those of you that are watching online would say, you know what? I need Christ. I need His grace. I need his forgiveness. I need to turn from my sin. I need to turn towards him. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me today and say, that's me. I need to do that today. I need to make that decision. Thank you. Others today, thank you. Lift your hand and say, that's me. I need to make that decision. Those of you that are watching online, that's me, Terry. I need to make that decision today. I need the Lord in my heart and in my life. Pray this with me today, everyone. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Jesus, save me from my sin. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. Teach me your word so I can know you. Direct my steps so that I can live for you. Thank you for the new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name, I pray. Father's house, wouldn't you like to worship God really big right now for those who prayed that prayer? Come on. Let's worship God. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.